This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where certain things are fixed, the essentials of faith, and the best beer is served on tap, while everything else is just a matter of perspective. What's cracking, beer lovers? What up? We back again. Mo beer. Mo theology. Let's go. Dude, merch. Mo beer. Mo theology. Yeah, back. we've already said that. No, we haven't. Yes, we have. It's on my con. It's on my merch list. I already started designing it the other day. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even remember our own merch? Dude, we come up with so much cool stuff. We do come up with a lot of cool stuff. <laughs> it's, it's, it's at this point that I'm like, oh, hey, what are you doing there, buddy? Um, yeah, it, it's it's this point that I'm like, what, we come up with so much cool stuff yeah. that I'm like, I'm, I'm which, losing it, bro. I'm which, losing it. to all of our listeners, um, we are coming up on year one, year one anniversary towards the end of September, and we will, in celebration, be launching our merch line. We will be. It will be developing, so we won't come out with all of the products all at once, just because there's so many that we want to do. So it will constantly be evolving and new merch, and we'll have limited releases, so there will be some merch that you'll only be able to get at the launch, and then we'll take them away. But there will also be some constants. There will be constants, and there will constantly be new things coming in, those kinds of things. But if you have any requests, put them in now. Hit hit us up. If you've got any merch ideas even, Yep. Um, let us know. Yep. If you want respect perspective hats, T-shirts, mugs, let us know now, um, and we'll put I, you on a on a waiting list. I am going to make a Pints and Perspectives beer mode. We have to. Yep, I am going to do that. We, we, we have to. I'm trying to find a way for me to do it on Stein. Uh, we'll talk off camera. I found a way. Well, yeah, we'll talk off camera. We'll talk off but camera. Anyways, so yes, talk to us about our beverages of choice tonight, Clayton. Set. Actually, I want you to go first. Okay. Or do you want me to talk about it for you? Nope. I'll talk about it. So Clayton wants to talk about it. I do. It's honestly one of my favorite beers. This is Yingling. Yingling. And Yingling has just made its way to Texas literally this week. I'm so excited. Um, we were able to get our hands on some. I have... And honestly, it, you're, we're going to be able to get our hands on it whenever we want at yeah. this point. Yeah. But I didn't know if week one, if we it would be hard to. And yeah. there are places that it is hard to. That's why I went and bought a crap ton of it. Yeah. So they actually claim that they are America's oldest brewery, established yes. in 1829. Yep. I have the um, traditional lager. So and yummy. it's an amber. That's all it literally says. Um, ABV is like 5.2. Yeah, it doesn't even say that on here. I'm sure it says it um, on the box. Yeah, I think it's, it's like 5.2, something like that. It's like a standard lager ABV. Um, and they are a Pennsylvania brewery, but this was brewed in Fort Worth. Yeah. Um, it is not a craft beer. No, um, it, it is it, a macro. It is a macro, but um, it is one of my favorite beers, and Cullen's never had it. I've never had it, not um, once. I had it for the first time in Florida. Um, 
and uh, it was amazing. And then y'all know I spent some time up in New York, and so I drank a lot of it up there too. It was only sold on the East Coast for the longest time. Yeah. And I don't know if over the last several years, people have it's been, migrated. Well, no, <laughs> over the last several years, Texans have been going on the East Coast drinking this beer, and they're like, "Why don't we get this here? Yep. Why isn't this a thing?" And we, as Texans, have just bugged them enough about it. I guess so. That they're like, "Okay, yeah, let's go." Um, and I don't know, I wasn't expecting it. Uh, me and my mom were just driving and we saw a yingling delivery truck at one of the liquor stores around here. And I looked at mom and I pointed at it and she saw it and she goes, <gasps> and I said, yeah, turn around. <laughs> and so we whipped around and we pulled into the liquor store and he said, oh no, we're getting the next week. And I was like, crap. And so I hopped on my phone and I was like, what, what's going on here? And I was like, okay, so it's coming to Texas now. Yep. And then as soon as it hit the store, like hit the shelves at HEB, I went and bought a crap ton of it. You did? I went and bought like almost $80 worth. Yeah. And distributed it amongst our three households. Yeah. Um, because I know that it's going to sell out pretty quickly, right? And yeah. it, it has. Um, and the traditional lager is one of my favorites. Wow. All right. Well, I'm excited to try it. Mine is the last of our Manhattan Project beers. Ah. Um, this section, this chapter has come to a close. I hope to get more. Okay. Hey, Manhattan Project. Want to sponsor a podcast? Yeah. Um, because we have loved everything that you're doing. Um, I mean, you know that the the fallout for me was not one of my favorites, but like... like it was really clove heavy. It was really clove heavy for my palate, but like still, it was it was really good. Um, but I have high hopes for this one. It's the Black Matter. It is a coffee stout. It is 8.6%. I did not see that Ooh. until now. Ooh. Um, but um, it says it pairs well with a warm fire, a ribeye, and ice cream. Ooh. All things I love. Yeah. Um, for the first encounter of the aroma to the finish, the coffee is evident but not so much that it is overpowering. As the beer warms, you will discover chocolate, cinnamon, and even a touch of vanilla in both the flavor and the nose. It has a full, silky body with, a, with medium uh, carbonation. And it has a little roasty scale here, and it's about three-quarters of the way full. Mm. So I'm assuming that the, the coffee roast is going to be pretty prominent. Pretty prominent, yep. All right. Well, pretty cheers, excited. buddy. Cheers. What do you think? It's hard for me to smell in the can. Tastes like a really crisp amber. It's, um, it's really good, isn't it? Yeah. I'm not the biggest of amber people. Right. Um, but... Maybe I should have given you the golden pilsner instead of the traditional lager, but this is this is their most popular, right? And so that's what I had to give you. Yeah, no, I get it. I Yeah, let me 
I'll do an intermission here in a minute. Let me, let me sip on it for a minute. So what's so weird about the black matter is they have the roasty scale so high, and they talk about the coffee notes. What hits me first is the hops. Oh, it's hop heavy. Or forward. Hop out forward, for sure. Mm. I get uh, this huge burst of herbal florality. Mm. Um, and then what right... What kind of hops is it? I can't tell. I don't is know. Is it like super citrus, floral kind of no, hop? It, it, it's more it's more floral, less citrus. Okay. Um, and so, like, I, I really don't know what kind of hops it is. Mm. Uh, can't place it. But that is what hits me first. Mm. And then it kind of develops into... Uh, like a sweet malt, mm. and then a big, huge burst of roast coffee. Okay, and then it kind of develops in this chocolate baking spice. Um, it's it's a very interesting, very complex kind of beer. Um, because it starts on one spectrum and ends on the other. Yeah, you, right. You go the full gambit. It, which makes it really interesting for a beer nerd. Yeah. Right. Um, but uh, I I love it. Not something I would drink every day. Yeah. yeah. But I, I, I do love it. It's really good. Yeah. I don't know very many people that would drink stouts or that dark of beer every day. Yeah. Oh, well, I know someone who would. Oh, all right. Um, he, he can't afford it, but he would. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's probably fair. Um. And uh, so for me, I'm sitting at 8.5. 8.5. Yeah. So also, my rating on last week's episode. Oh, yeah. You kind of. I got to change it. Um, the more I drank that beer, the less and less I liked it. It was, for those of you who don't remember, it was the, the maple syrup, yeah. pecan. It, it was, was maple and pecan, is what it was. Yeah. It was maple I didn't, pecan, Russian style. Yeah. I didn't even finish it. It was not good. Um, it wasn't good. It was interesting at first, but it was just, it was so sweet and rich that I couldn't even finish it. I felt like I was drinking maple syrup. Yeah. 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 Literally just drinking. And as it warmed, it got more and more yeah. thick like maple syrup. Yeah. Um, it was just, it was not a good beer because I tried it off camera after we stopped recording. It was not good. I think I'm a seven one on this. Really? You're that low? Yeah. I, I expected at least a seven five. No, I think the way that I'm gonna do these ranking systems is like seven is the number where it's just like it's a good like it's a good beer. I would drink it if it was around, but I'm not mm -hmm. necessarily like craving it. Yeah. I think it's barely better than just like a middle of the road beer. Okay. I think I'm going to go 7-1. I think that's the scale system I want to use to rank these. I will be going just purely off 1 to 10. <laughs> like, yeah. honestly, I'm not like... I, I would think for me, the, the middle of the road would be 5. Hmm. Um, and so, like, I would put High Life at a 5. You know what I mean? Um now that's also not considering price and right. That's just considering overall quality yep, of beer. Yep. Um, and so like a good middle of the road. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if I would put high. Life. No, I would. I would put high life at a five and I would put Coors banquet at like a 
5'2". <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I feel that. And so, like, now you kind of understand how I'm scaling beers, yeah. I guess. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I get that. I'm okay with that. All right. Let's talk about marriage and divorce. Yeah. We didn't really talk much about it last week because yeah. I was obviously telling everyone my story. <clears throat> but... Marriage and divorce is not only a New Testament topic. Um, it's all throughout the Old Testament. Yeah. And it being all throughout the Old Testament, we see Jesus change some things. And there are some problems with the narrative of marriage and divorce in the Old Testament. Yeah. Um, there are problems around... There are problems around what it means. Why can someone get divorced? Um, is divorce acceptable? There are problems about the way it's instituted, commanded, all of these types of things. And so here's here's what's going on. Marriage is quickly an institution of the church. Oh, 100%. They're going to go about marriage. We don't think about it that way because in our lifetime, marriage has been an institution of the government. Right. But originally, marriage is an institution of the church. Yeah. Well, Moses ends up giving a clause in the law that you can get a divorce, but if you get a divorce, you must give the woman a certificate of divorce so that she's free to either return home or marry again or any of those kinds of things. Here's part of the problem. That's the only stipulation that was given. You had to give her a certificate of divorce. People are divorcing people for very frivolous things. Yeah. The joke that I've heard people use and some of my professors use is that you could divorce a woman if she burned your toast. Right. And like it's culturally okay. Very kind of abusive way of living life and thinking about a covenant of marriage. Yeah. That's the culture that exists by the time Jesus shows up. They're just marrying, divorcing, and remarrying over and over and over and over again. If you've got the money to pay for the dowry, you can marry as many times as you want. Right. And the other thing is, is notice the language. You must give her a certificate of divorce, meaning that men are the only ones that can initiate divorce. Right. All of that's a very different culture than the culture we have today. There's also these weird conversations that we will talk about when we dive more into Richard's book. But there comes a point, actually, where Ezra and Nehemiah command mass divorce. Yeah. Which is a big ethical concern. Well, and do you remember why they do it? Or uh, uh, what the mass divorce command is? It's anyone who is not Jewish. It's anyone married to a foreign woman. Yeah. Now, they can say all they want that it's because they're trying to protect the 
the sanctity of the Israelite religion. Yeah. Um, and that's fine. But like you still commanded mass divorce. Yeah. Extremely problematic. Um, from a narratival perspective. Sure. From a narratival perspective, from an ethical perspective in general. Yes. And so what, when we get to Jesus, this is the culture that Jesus is living in. There's a pretty tainted history, if we can be honest, about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Coming from Ezra and Nehemiah. Well, not just that, but just just from the Israelite people. I mean, we looked at this yesterday, or sorry, two days ago on Let's Talk, but Solomon had 700 wives. Yeah. Do you really think that he can be fully giving himself to 700 different women? Well, yes. So, well, no, right. But I need need to clarify that. No, absolutely not. And yes, that is true. But what's so funny is that when we talk about marriage and family and marriage and divorce, everyone likes to go to the Bible and like to say, oh, the Bible doesn't say that you can get divorced. Like, it's not okay. You shouldn't divorce. Blah, 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 whatever, whatever. Um, But when we talk about the Mormons and Mm -hmm. their polygamy, thing mm-hmm. we like to say that that's wrong too yeah. well guess what there's polygamy in the bible and god does not condemn it <laughs> so like explicitly um so what do you do with that go yeah it's really difficult um it's not easy oh I mean, i'm not you, i'm not saying that you like answer that question i'm just oh. saying that like this is an issue with i mean the, there are places in the bible where I don't think they're really talking about polygamy. Polygamy had kind of died by the time of the New Testament. Very right. few people were doing that. But there is that clause in Timothy about the deacons. Mm-hmm. A husband of one wife. Of one wife, yeah. A lot of people think that's actually referring to polygamy. I'm not convinced. I'm not either. But you could read that that way. That would be possible. Um I'm not endorsing polygamy. Don't hear it that way. Yeah, no, no, I know. But it is, I mean, it is a valuable conversation about marriage and divorce. Yes. Um, because. It, it is a conversation about the sanctity of marriage. Well, and actually, this is a conversation we probably need to have to close out the podcast because I, I want to start talking about Jesus, but I want I want to let Richard do that. And so I want to do that next week. Okay. I wanted to set all of this up. But this is Pines and Perspective or Perspectives. And I actually want to have a conversation about marriage as a sacrament. Mm, Yes, let's do this. Um, I don't know how many Catholics we have listening to the podcast. But if you are Catholic, then you know that there are seven sacraments, one of which is marriage. Yep. We don't have that in the Protestant church because we don't believe in sacraments. Yeah. (laughs) Or in the evangelical church. Yes. At large, the evangelical church does not believe in sacraments. I actually do. My own personal theology is sacramental. Y'all know that, like, I have things that are (laughs) Catholic-like. So I'm fully there on on the sacraments. Yeah. So... Fully there. And here's my thing. I think if there are different levels... 
there are varying levels of experiences of grace. Yep. You have saving grace. Yep. You have grace as a gift. You have, um, it's an act of God's grace that everyone woke up this morning. Yes. If God's the author of life, then literally living and breathing is an experience of grace. So if there are varying degrees of experiences of grace, then there are also varying degrees of dispensations of grace. I'm okay with it being sacramental. I got no problem with it. No. Um, now, where I draw the line is that the sacrament is the thing. That that's, is the saving grace. Yes, that's where I draw the line. But sacrificial, I mean, uh, um, sacramental theology combined with Protestant faith. Yeah. I'm here for it. And I actually, I actually freaking really love it. Yeah. Um, so with that in the Catholic church, marriage is a sacrament. Would you say marriage is a sacrament? Absolutely. Why would you say that? Well, so I would say that marriage is a sacrament because so, and and this is the argument that I make and, and this is the, the justification that I have for it. And, some may disagree, but this is my perspective. When we look at the the holy wedding day, mm-hmm. um, all marriage is based off of that. Mm, yeah. Right? Christ and the church coming together as one. And we get that same language in, in the pastorals as well. Yep. Right? Um, and in Ephesians. And in Ephesians. <clears throat> and so... All marriage is based off Christ and the church coming together as one. And so that is why for me it has to be sacramental because it directly involves grace. Yes. I so that's for me. I don't accept all of the seven because you can't you for you cannot accept absolution. Well, it's not just that. Or absolutions. I, there are or, so many of them I can't accept. I accept three. Three of the seven. The Eucharist, marriage, and baptism. But why? What do all of those have in common? Grace. Impartations of grace. In well, no, that the way they're talked about are metaphors of Christ. Mm. So Eucharist is, uh, this is my body, this is my blood. Baptism, buried with Christ. Yeah, raised, raised to walk, to walk in newness of, of life. And then marriage. Christ's love for the church. Husbands love your wives as Christ loved his church, giving of himself for her. Yeah. All of them have Christological metaphors. Yeah. Which, by the way, side note, while we're on this topic, if you have not heard the song Holy Wedding Day by the City Harmonic, mm. pause this, go listen to that, come back. Okay. I haven't. I'm not going to pause and listen well, to it right can. now. But yeah, but like you should <laughs> listen to it. Okay. I will definitely do that. So I say I set all that up about marriage as a sacrament to say as someone who is currently going through a divorce will be officially divorced in a few short weeks. Um marriage is not to be taken lightly. Um I fought hard for my marriage. Yeah. I fought literally, and Clayton saw the whole thing. He can tell you. But, like, I fought with everything I had. I literally remember leaving 
feeling so defeated and depleted because I gave everything I had. Look, I Cullen's not going to be the hero of his own story. Um, and I told you guys this last week. And I actually thought inside myself um, whether or not I was going to tell that story. Um, Cullen legitimately fought until he had nothing left. I've never seen Cullen so done and just out of everything. Um, And I'm sure, like, some of you guys saw it, too, um, just in, like, us recording. Because there were nights that he and I would record and... He wasn't him. He he wasn't this. Yeah, that is sitting across from me right now. Um, he legitimately fought until he had nothing left. Yeah, I did, and that's because I genuinely believe that marriage matters. It's important, and it's sacred. Yeah. Um, with it being important and sacred, I also think that means it's worth, and Richard's going to talk about this, but it's worth suffering for. Yeah. Um, when you go through life and experience of life, any of these things that have Christological metaphors for them, they're worth suffering for because Christ suffered for us. Um, do I think remarriage is fine? Yeah. Sure. I do. Um, like in my shoes, for example, like I can't hold my ex hostage. Like what am I supposed to do? Right? Does that mean I'm supposed to just be a, you know, a, a, I can't marry ever again? No, I don't think so. On the flip side of that, it's a Christological metaphor. Like, it is a witness of the gospel. Well, and, and this is, yeah. Um, and, and that's the whole, geez, we're 26 minutes in. Um, that's the whole thing for me that, that I've struggled with all these years and, and this whole idea of, you know, Christ and the church are only going to come together once. Mm. Right, which does beg the question about remarriage. Um, well, you just have to do it with grace. You have to do it with grace. That's the thing. Yeah. You have to do it with grace. Yeah. There is grace in all things. Yep. And guess what? You screw up. Yeah. You marry the wrong person and your marriage and your family is not healthy. Yeah. Right. And and those things happen. Yeah. Um but what happens is you have to make the best decision for yourself, your partner, and your family in general. And this is this is me talking. Yeah. Right. I, I will say that. This is me talking. You have to make the decision that's best in those scenarios. And there's grace. Yeah. I think that's the other side of the conversation is that if I'm real honest, I think we're too light with marriage. I don't think that, I don't think that we do a good enough job putting the seriousness 
of marriage on display for people? Hmm. I was I was gonna make the distinction that in America in the American church, but I don't think that's actually true. I think that's globally, just as the capital C church. Um, I think I would agree. Um, Look, divorce is not only an American problem. No, it's not. It, um, I mean, it's a worldwide problem. It, it, yes, it's an issue everywhere. It has been an issue for millennia. A, a part of me is feeling hesitant about that statement, but I'm not sure why. Um, yeah. Because I, I don't think that the conversation about marriage is, like in the church, is any less serious than it's ever been. Um, I think we need to start talking about it in a different way. I actually disagree with you, and here's why. And I'm going to give credit for this. I heard Jeremy Foster, the pastor of Hope City Church, the other day, make this claim. They're going through a cool, uh, excuse me, they're going through a super cool series right now about like dating and marriage and family. Yeah, and, yeah super cool. He just did this in this series that Clayton's talking about. He just did this deal about marriage, and he's like, "Look, our world and our culture don't value love." Mm. Yeah. And his whole point is like, what love stories, what movies are made over the couple that's married for 60 years and went to work every day and came home to each other every day? Yeah. None. Even though they lived a life fully yeah. embracing the other one, a true picture of marriage, that's not that story doesn't tell in a Hollywood setting. No. It's boring in the Hollywood so setting. So his argument is that our culture doesn't value love. Our culture values trauma bonds. Mm. Woo. Yes. Our our culture values Nicholas Sparks. Yes. And how do you get that? You don't get that without trauma bonds. Yeah. I think he's right. I hadn't thought about it until I heard him say it. That. Ooh. He's 100% right. Yeah. And so... Yeah. So... With that, I don't think that we, I don't think we take marriage seriously enough. I don't think we paint the picture of love well enough. Yeah, I don't agreed. think, because our world and our culture is so selfish, and marriage is not a place to be selfish. It can't be. Well, Paul says in Ephesians 5.21, right before he, right as he introduces a conversation about marriage, and about husbands and wives and the family and the household code, he says, submit yourselves to one another. Yes. That screams at me, don't be a selfish jerk. Agreed. Agreed. And the, the, the comment that I was making earlier was that marriage as an institution has always been very important in the church, Right we need to reframe how we're talking about it. I'm fine with that. We need reform in our conversation about marriage um, because at this point, so so let's think about it this way. Now, it, we have seen an increasing amount of divorces, 
right over the last yeah. s- several decades. Yeah, it's in- it's insane at this point. It, it, like the the increasing amount of divorces is heartbreaking. But think about it 100 years ago. Yeah. Hardly anyone was getting divorced. Right? Yeah. They were living in this horrible life that they were unhappy with, right? Just because there was stigma around divorce. Well, and because of all of what you're saying right now, we're about to see divorce rates compound on one another. Yes. We're already seeing it, right? Yeah. 50% of first-time marriages, um, 70 <coughs> 75% of second marriages. And 80% of third. Yeah. They're compounding on themselves. Yep. Give it another two decades. I bet that even worse. I bet that first number is worse than fifty percent. I bet it's closer to sixty percent in two decades. Agreed. Unless we take serious interventions. That's the deal. And that's the thing that is so scary. And that is why I think that we need to reframe our discussions about marriage. Well, and it's hard it's hard to know if it's hard to know if reframing is the way to do it. Because I actually think the frame is great. If if the frame is the metaphor of mm. Christ's love for the church, the frame is more than sufficient. So let's talk about it this way. If we're talking about a window. Okay. The window frame is fine. Mm-hmm. The window itself is broken. Yeah, the window needs to be replaced. The window itself needs to be replaced. Yep, I agree with that. Um, And I think the first step that we need to take, um, because divorce is so prominent and there's still such a stigma around divorce in the church, We as the church, and I'm going to throw myself in there. I'm going to throw you in there too because we've both been there. We all as the church need to take a step back and take a look at divorce, a serious look at divorce that is less judgmental, more full of grace, more full of love, and allows for life and resurrection. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I do genuinely believe that look, is the first step. Yeah, look, you're talking to a dude who's going to be divorced in two months. Yeah. Yeah. I, you're not going to hear any qualms from me. <laughs> um, yeah. But the other thing that I don't want is I don't want to fall into the Romans 6 trap. Mm, Should yeah, I just continue agreed. doing this so that grace may abound? Agreed. No, divorce is, I mean, marriage is something very sacred. Agreed. It it is a metaphor of Christ's love for the church. Yes. And and here's the and I I think I told you this countless times when I was, you know, trying to fight for mine and was trying to save something. I told Clayton countless times I was like, dude, God never gave up on Israel. Yeah. Even though he called them adulterers, which as you guys know, my wife cheated on me. Had an affair is with the man that she had an affair with. Now she replaced me with another man as Israel replaced God with another God. Yeah. And he calls them adulterers. Like he gets the pain. Putting 
himself on par with God. Let's just no, no, no. It's not. It's 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 comparing the level of adultery. Yes, and the fact that God gave the ultimate thing of Himself for the adulterer. Mm. I say all that to say. This is a podcast about a conversation of marriage and divorce in a series of God and ethic. Your ethic should meet your theology. Yes. If you have a low view of marriage, well, first of all, I would challenge your theology. Absolutely. Because I don't think there's an easy way. I don't think it's possible to get to a low view of marriage theologically from the Bible. And so if you have a high theology of marriage, you need to have a high ethic in trying to stay there. Mm. Um, Ooh, can I jump in yeah, really go ahead. quickly? A friend of mine once told me, I was going through a really bad breakup and um, a, a, with a girl that I thought I was going to marry. Mm. Um, and he said, look, dude, here's my thought. Any relationship, any relationship, whatever your problems can be worked through. Mm. There is nothing that you cannot overcome. If you both want to. If you both want to. If you yep. both put in the work. I would agree with that. I would too. And when he said it, it, it just it clicked for me. Because it seemed like in my moment, in that moment where I was stuck in this relationship where there were issues that I could not deal with and I didn't know how to deal with other than get out. Yeah. After I was already out, he told me this. I was like, dude, you're right. We probably could have worked it out. Yeah. Now, in my situation, it would not have been a good thing for us to try to work it out. But like, just as a general idea, if you are in a marriage and if you have a high view of marriage... And a high view of God. You need to do everything in your power to make it work. Yeah. Because you can make it work through communication, through vulnerability. And maybe a part of that is therapy, like yeah. marriage and, and family therapy. You can make it work. You can do it. Well, and not just, I think that's the other thing is we need to, you were talking about replacing the window. I think that language that we use there of making it work mm. is actually not a good metaphor. I, I retract my statement. I agree. You can thrive. You can thrive. We um, have seen couples. We have. And we've seen couples in our community. Yes. Thrive from working it out. Yes. Um, I believe that 100%. And here's the deal. Here's why I did this episode. I'm sure some of our listeners are like, why Why am I still listening to this after 39 minutes? If you're still here, yeah, what up? You're the real ones. <laughs> um, but the deal is, is it's important to set that up. Because you'll never understand what Jesus has to say about marriage and divorce if you don't understand the importance of marriage to begin with. Yeah. The metaphors between Christ and the church and the sacramental elements, all of it, like 
If you don't understand that, none of what Jesus has to make sense matters to you because all you see is, hey, my marriage no longer makes me happy, and so I'm going to get out of it. And that's not the way of Christ. No. Um, so join us for the next few weeks as we look at the New Testament ethic by looking at Jesus' conversations about marriage and divorce. <laughs>